Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. This week's guest is Brianna Guild. You might have heard of her from other podcasts I've had on literacy because you're always referenced. Her Instagram is slp.literacy.corner. So that might ring a bell for people listening. Um, Brianna is, she is a fellow Canadian SLP. She is actually from the same province that I'm from originally. So that's very exciting. And she, I'll let her introduce herself, but she's coming on the podcast today to talk all about literacy. She's going to share a new perspective, I think, than we've had before. So that's really exciting. But um, anyways, I'll, we'll just get, we'll dive right in. Can you introduce yourself? Welcome to the podcast. Share a little bit more about yourself for everyone listening. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Brianna. I'm a private practice speech language pathologist in Ontario. I work virtually full-time ever since the pandemic started, and the majority of my caseload is literacy clients. Okay, so private practice and all teletherapy. That sounds like amazing. You get to work from home. <laughs> I love that- it. It's pretty great. Yeah. Was that tough to transition during peak pandemic? As Initially, person? yes. I had only been an SLP for six months before the pandemic started. So I feel like I was just getting my bearings and then the pandemic hit and I had to restart again. So in a sense, it was difficult, but also because I was a new clinician, I kind of had some flexibility. I wasn't in a big routine yet. So yes and no. Okay. Yeah. Because I was, I, I started working the summer after the pandemic already started. So I was like, okay, the only thing worse than starting at this time is the people who had to start their first year and then switch because that was me. That's the kind of cohort of SLPs who, um, like you had to figure out zoom for the first time you had, you know what I mean? So at least when my cohort of SLPs got rolling, it was like, at least people already know what zoom is and boom learning. (laughs) That's rough. There was a transition period, but I'm I'm really into it now. I really enjoy yeah. it. And it works really well for my literacy clients. So I feel like also being virtual full-time did start to transition me into clients who could do their sessions virtually. And I feel like literacy and virtual, it's been working really well. Okay, awesome. I'm so excited to chat more about literacy in general. I was saying to you before, like I can't get enough of extra education in the literacy department. I feel like I'm always learning something new whenever I talk to an SLP who specializes in this area. Um, You have a unique perspective and I'm not going to spoil it, but can you kind of talk more about your personal journey learning to read? Because that is a very unique perspective, I think. Absolutely. Um, Before we dive in too much, I did just want to preface this by saying that I'm not a literacy expert. I have only been an SLP for four years and I have taken additional training and I try to keep up with the research by reading books and articles, but I'm not an expert. I'm here to share my passion and what I know about literacy so far, but I still definitely have a lot more to learn personally and I'm gonna continue learning. So I have vivid memories about learning how to read. My parents always read to me growing up I liked books and stories, but I had no idea how to read them. In grade one, we had these colorful bins of leveled books, like A, B, C, and so on. And my friends were moving up in the levels, but I wasn't. I had no idea how to read. I remember being taught to look at the pictures to help me read, 
but I've always been a very logical person. I need to understand the why and looking at the pictures to figure out the words just never made sense to me. I wanted to know how to read the words. I remember in grade one, my teacher cut out these little windows out of paper and she would move them across the sentence to help me focus on one word at a time. But I still couldn't read the words. I knew the letters, but not what word they made. So by grade two, I don't think I had made much progress with reading because at a parent teacher interview that year, I specifically remember my grade two teacher telling my parents in front of me at this interview that I couldn't read. And I just felt crushed. I felt like I was trying really hard, but I just didn't understand how to read. So sometime after that, my mom and I went to like a scholastic store, I think, and she bought phonics flashcards and some workbooks and we would do flashcard drills. And she taught me what all the sounds were that the letters represented and how to sound out the words. And that's when reading started making sense to me for the first time. The first books that I remember actually enjoying trying to read were the Junie B. Jones series by Barbara Park. My mom would take turns reading the pages with me so I didn't get too frustrated and could actually enjoy trying to read the story. It's just such a good reminder. It's like, kids remember these things like mm -hmm. that you that was like something you still remember to this day as an adult hearing that that's why I'm always like trying to be so intentional about not having kids in the room when I'm talking about results or anything with parents there because it can be like quite the hit to their confidence um it's nice that your mom was so proactive then when she heard that she's like okay let's get rolling it sounds like they almost jumped ahead like was it like what was sight words or just missed the phonics altogether or what happened like that's so overwhelming for a kid yeah so we'll we'll get into this some more about how reading the history of reading in the school systems but um I, I think there just wasn't a lot of phonics. It was a lot of, um, we'll talk about this more, but the three queuing system and leveled books and just those not being the best way to learn how to read. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. This reminds me, just brought back a childhood memory of when I was in elementary school, I had like the hardest time learning how to tell time on a like a typical clock. And I remember like, it was almost like everyone was like 10 steps ahead of me. And I remember kids would be able to tell the time so fast and I could not get it. And to this day, I remember that feeling like that pit in my stomach, like I'm never going to be able to figure it out. And it's like, we all have those moments of being kids feeling so overwhelmed, but it's amazing now, like for you, you had this challenge as a kid and now you're literally teaching kids how to do that. Mm -hmm. That's why I was thinking it's like very unique perspective that like now you've come so far, you're literally teaching, you're specializing more in literacy in your SLP sessions. That's amazing. I feel like um, it's helped me a lot with continuing my own literacy <laughs> skills and like giving myself that structured literacy instruction that I needed as a child. Yeah. So then did you ever have any more support in school or was it like your mom helped you a lot and then you were able to kind of like catch up for lack of a better word? Yeah, I think I was probably caught up to whatever the grade level reading expectations were by maybe grade three or grade four. I never had any diagnoses, no IEP. 
went on to be very academically inclined. I was just one of those kids who needed some explicit instruction in order to learn how to read. Part of me is thinking, what would you have done if your mom wasn't so on top of things, right? Like those are the kids who end up falling through the cracks. Like they have these challenges for whatever reason, the instruction, they just need more explicit instruction. Luckily, your mom was able to kind of put a magnifying lens on that for you. Yeah, I was very fortunate that my parents stepped in and gave me the help that I needed. Yeah. You mentioned the experience about learning to read time. Do you remember what your experience was with learning to read? Um, Learning to read? No, I don't even remember it really. Okay. Let's circle back to that okay. later. Okay. Oh, no, I'm like so intrigued. Okay. I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about literacy in the schools. Okay. Because my story is not an uncommon one. Have you heard of the podcast Sold a Story? No. Okay. So here's the synopsis from their website. There's an idea about how children learn to read that's held sway in schools for more than a generation, even though it was proven wrong by cognitive scientists decades ago. Teaching methods based on this idea can make it harder for children to learn how to read. In this podcast, sold a story, host Emily Hanford investigates the influential authors who promote this idea and the company that sells their work. It's an expose of how educators came to believe in something that isn't true and are now reckoning with the consequences, children harmed, money wasted, and an education system upended. It's a really good podcast. You got to check it out. I literally just wrote it down, sold, S-O-L-D, sold a story. Correct. Okay. And I'll put it in the show notes for everyone listening. So I'll, I'll touch on it just a little bit, because if you're interested, you should really go check it out. But I was already familiar with Emily Hanford. She's the investigative journalist who hosts Sold a Story. She's listened or she's recorded other documentaries on how children are taught to read in schools and how detrimental it is. It's all based out of the United States. But from what I've experienced growing up and learning to read in Canada and talking to other Canadian teachers, it sounds like Canadian schools have a similar history with reading instruction. So without getting into too much detail, basically what's been happening is for a long time, schools have been using leveled books and the three queuing system to teach reading. So this is where you're taught to read by looking at the pictures, the first letter of the word, and thinking about what word makes sense in that sentence. And supposedly that's how you're learning how to read. But this is guessing. It's not reading. And for many years, the research on reading has shown that we need to explicitly teach children letter sound correspondences and how to sound out words. This is because the human brain wasn't designed to read. Our brains have specific areas responsible for oral language and speech, but there are no specific areas designated for reading. Basically, we aren't naturally wired to learn how to read like we are to develop oral language. So several areas in the brain must learn to work together to accomplish this task of reading. We have to learn that when we hear a word, for example, bat, that is represented by the letters B, A, T. And that could mean an animal, the bat, or it could mean a baseball bat. So to learn to read, 
we have to tie together our knowledge of sounds, spelling, and semantics. First of all, there's so much to unpack. I'm literally taking notes as you were saying that. I didn't know that we didn't have a specific area in our brain to learn to read. I've never even heard someone say that before. So that's so interesting to me. And it makes sense why we would need explicit instruction on how to do that. Is this a known fact? I'm still learning so much more about literacy all the time. I don't think this is a known fact just commonly amongst people. Um, But so humans, we evolved oral language and then our writing system was created so that we could record our oral language. So our writing systems came much later. So we just, we were not wired to learn to read and write the same way we are wired to develop oral language. That's so interesting. Wow. For this three queuing system, is this still like occurring? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? Where are we at with with that in our schools? I know, I mean, I've seen this happening, but what do you think? Like, do you think this is something that is improving or? My understanding is that it's in progress with improving. In Ontario, we recently had uh, the whole right to read movement. Um, and they're getting rid of the three queuing system and moving more towards a structured literacy approach. Okay, that's great news. Was it teachers at the forefront of that? SLPs? Do you know, like, kind of who got that moving forward? The Ontario Human Rights Commission got that moving forward because they declared that it was a human rights issue. Like, kids weren't being taught how to read. And what about other provinces? Do you know, like, because I'm in BC? I do not know at all. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I've yeah. just been like trying to keep up with what's happening in Ontario. Um, I follow the International Dyslexia Association Ontario branch, and I try to get my information from them. They did some really good um, workshops unpacking the right to read that was put out by the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Um, it was a really long process. Uh, honestly, it could be a whole nother episode. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm glad to hear at least in Ontario, it's moving forward. Sometimes I find Ontario, it's such a big province. It sometimes leads the way with things. So hopefully that'll kind of sprinkle over to the other provinces that are a little bit smaller. So that's great. So circling back to what you said before about how learning to read is actually really complicated. And this is so true. I think a lot of people take reading for granted, but it really does make sense why so many children struggle with learning to read when they aren't given explicit literacy instruction. So Nancy Young created a visual I like called The Ladder of Reading and Writing. I'm gonna describe it and you guys can look it up if you're interested. We can also share it on our Instagram pages. So at the bottom, there's, so there's four rungs in this ladder. At the bottom, we have learning to read, spell, write, requires code-based, explicit, intensive instruction and frequent repetition. That's estimated at 10 to 15% of the population. On the next rung, learning to read, spell, write proficiently requires code-based and explicit instruction. That's estimated at 40 to 45%. Above that, learning to read is relatively easy with broad instruction. Some explicit instruction for spelling or writing likely needed, 35 to 40%. And at the top, learning to read seems effortless. Some instruction for spelling writing may be needed, 5 to 10%. What ages is this? So it just says that that's the ladder of reading and writing. And 
how like how much instruction people need in order to learn to read. Yeah, like through their development to learn to read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that my personal experience learning to read falls in the learning to read requires code base and explicit instruction category. So kind of that second rung, because the third said that broad instruction is enough, but broad instruction in the classroom wasn't enough for me. Where do you think you would fall? You said you don't even have a memory learning how to read. I I don't remember learning how to read. Like, I just remember not knowing how to tell time. Like, that is my <laughs> biggest memory in grade one, not figuring out how to tell time and being so slow to tie my shoes. But for some reason, learning to read. So does that mean that it might have been easy for me? Or like, who knows? I If you have, like, if you have no memory, I'm inclined to say it came to you more naturally, but I I don't know, maybe in one of those, like, you'd be in the third or the top rung kind of thing. If the broad instruction was working for you, clearly. What I do know is like, really reflecting on it, broad instruction never worked for me in elementary school, because I also, I had a really hard time just maintaining attention in general. So my mom was always helping constantly, um, almost in a, like a, a very proactive sense. So maybe I don't remember it because I already was getting a lot of extra help at home. And I had three older siblings to help me because I know that like, I always had extra help constantly because I was like a classic kid where they would always say she's daydreaming. She's zoned out. I'm like <laughs> looking out the window, you know what I mean? So, um, I definitely don't think it, I would have been the kid who's like, no instruction and she's flying through things. Um, but, but for some reason it's not like a core memory, which is interesting. Just something interesting to think about. Like yeah, your everyone's personal experience learning how to read and how much instruction they may or may not have required. It is interesting. I'm going to share that infographic. We'll share a bunch of infographics this week when everyone's listening to the podcast. Um, so everyone can keep checking out our, um, pages, but I'll also maybe like put a link to that as well. Um, what was her name again? Nancy Young. Okay. Nan- the Ladder of Reading and Writing. Okay. I'll add all these things to the show notes so people can like look it up and stuff like that. Okay. Wow. Thank you for walking through that. So now I want to kind of move towards SLP side of things. When it comes to role of an SLP in literacy, it's different province to province. It's probably different the States versus Canada. Overall, what would you classify as like, what is the role of an SLP when it comes to literacy? There's lots of new grads who listen to this podcast. So I bet a lot of new grads are curious about this. I think that'll be interesting. And then also one thing that I've found interesting, just knowing some SLPs throughout the provinces is that it's so different province to province. So like, in BC, it seems like it's a lot of the resource teacher's responsibility. So I'll come into schools for an observation. The resource teachers are kind of like all over it. But then in like Alberta, my colleague moved there and she said she was like very surprised at how how much the SLP's role is emphasized in literacy, um, which makes a lot of sense that it would be. But it's just interesting how like it's not like it's the same every province or probably every school. So Yeah, I kind of want to hear your perspective on the SLP's role when it comes to literacy. So I'm going to talk about regardless of where you are or what area you work in, whether it's private practice or school, I think these are the roles of the SLP in general. So literacy does fall within our very broad scope of practice, and SLPs can have a really important role in literacy. 
After all, we are the language experts and literacy is written language. Our knowledge of language and its subsystems, so phonology, morphology, syntax, semantics, and pragmatics is highly important for the identification, assessment, and intervention of literacy delays and disorders. So SLPs can provide direct literacy assessment and intervention. We'll talk about that in a lot more detail. SLPs also use literacy tasks like oral storytelling and reading or writing words or stories when we're targeting other goals like articulation and language. And we always want to use functional activities in our sessions and working on literacy skills is functional for clients of all ages. SLPs can also advocate for students' literacy needs and educate others to help more people better understand literacy and the importance of structured literacy instruction. So basically, from my perspective, SLPs have three main roles, directly working on literacy, you can say indirectly working on literacy by using literacy tasks to target other goals, and then advocacy and education. So directly working on literacy, indirectly working on literacy. So using like books and things like that to target other goals. That's what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then advocating and sharing more about literacy and the importance of literacy. Okay. Okay. All right. So can we dive more into each of those? Yeah, so first let's talk a little bit about incorporating literacy into our existing sessions before we move on to that literacy-specific instruction. Okay. So SLPs are already using literacy tasks when we have clients read words during a game to work on their articulation of sounds, or when we're using book reading and storytelling to work on language goals. And one thing that all SLPs could do is to be more mindful of how we're incorporating literacy tasks into our existing sessions. So this might include being more conscious about including phonological awareness, phonics, and writing activities. So one example is that research has shown that children with speech sound delays are at a heightened risk for literacy delays. So we can strategically incorporate more phonological awareness and phonics into those sessions and we can provide them with some early literacy in intervention while still working on their primary goal of speech sound production. Primary goals of like, what are the goals we're trying to target right now? But then always being intentional and mindful of incorporating literacy throughout our sessions, because we know with certain patient populations, this is going to be something, or this could be something that we know could be a challenge later on because of what we're currently working on. Mm -hmm. And I think just making goals functional too, like for older articulation clients, you might be at the level where they're reading something of interest in order to work on their articulation of the sounds, but they're doing that through a reading task. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking right now is like, I have so many kids, not so many, but there's a handful of my clients where like, I take for granted that a lot of my clients can read and I use literacy tasks all the time. Like I love books and sessions. It's shocking how many boom cards we're expecting they can read if they're doing all these boom cards and handouts and like our tick like word cards and all these things that have literacy. And then every now and then I'll have a client where they are really like having challenges reading, but that might not be the main goal of the parents. And it's like, oh, you really got to rethink your session sometimes when you're used to being an SLP who uses a lot of books and things like that. And it's just such a reminder, like maybe being 
just conscious of like, what actually is the most important for this child right now when they can't do so many tasks or so many activities because they are having a hard time reading? Like, is K really that important when so many activities actually can't even be worked on because of their challenges reading? That's a really good point. It's interesting to think about. So if you're ready, we can dive into literacy specific instruction. So that's a client who is specifically needing to work on their reading and writing skills. So we need to provide all children with structured literacy instruction. This is instruction that is evidence-based, explicit, systematic, and incorporates review of the learned concepts. So explicit means we're explicitly introducing and explaining phonics rules. There's no assuming that kids will just figure it out. There's no assuming that they'll figure out if there's a silent E at the end, that it'll make the other vowel say the long sound. We're going to teach all those rules explicitly. Systematic means we follow a logical scope and sequence for teaching the rules. So typically we move from easier and more common spellings, like short vowel sounds, to more challenging or less common spellings like how T-I-O-N makes the shun sound. I know we're going to cover this at the end, but like right away, I'm wondering where can we learn more about even being able to use a direct literacy approach and being able to make sure it's evidence-based and systematic and all of these things. So I don't know if you want to, we can wait and discuss it more at the end um, or to touch on that now. We can touch on it now. So I'm trained in the Delivering Smarter Intervention Reading and Writing Program by Ascend Smarter Intervention. And that goes from kindergarten to high school. I use their curriculum as the backbone of all my structured literacy instruction, and I love it. They also have a whole series of free online webinars on their website that I always recommend for SLPs and any educators who want to learn more about structured literacy instruction. Okay. I'm going to link that in the show notes. For sure. The free webinars, like definitely check them out. They have one for all the five components that we're going to talk about today. They've got a webinar for each. Okay. Amazing. So a whole hour or more on each of those. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Thank you. That was like, I just needed to ask that question immediately because I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Okay. So the research right now outlines multiple components of effective literacy instruction. In 2000, the National Reading Panel did a review of reading research that identified the key components as phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. More recently, in 2020, the International Dyslexia Association identified key components of structured literacy as phoneme awareness, sound symbol or phoneme grapheme correspondences, orthography, morphology, syntax, and semantics. So I hope that you can see there's a lot of overlap in those lists. And personally, I think that one takeaway from the research is that literacy is more than just phonics or just reading comprehension. It's more than just one thing. There are many components that we need to consider and explicitly work on with children to help them become proficient readers. So there's a lot to cover. Um, We could talk about this forever, honestly, but Let's just go into detail about five components for now. So phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. I'll give you some information on what it is and a couple activity ideas that hopefully you can take away and start incorporating into your sessions. And I do have free handouts with pages of activity ideas for each of these five components. So I have a link to that on my Instagram and my website for anyone who wants those handouts. They'll have tons more activity ideas. 
Okay, thank you. All right. So starting with phonological awareness, this is the ability to recognize and manipulate the sounds in spoken language, including words in a sentence, syllables in words, and phonemes in words. Examples would be identifying and generating rhymes, and blending, segmenting, and manipulating syllables or phonemes in words. So some activity ideas. The classic I spy can be easily adapted to work on phonological awareness skills. So for example, you could say, I spy something that rhymes with log. And you might be looking for, you know, dog or frog. And that would work on identifying rhyming words. You could also say, I spy something that starts with a sound b to work on identifying the initial phoneme of words. So you might be looking for a banana or a ball. And I love I Spy games because you can play them inside or outside. You can use an actual like I Spy kind of book or any picture scene. And then I always tie my phonological awareness activity to the skill we're working on in our lesson. So if we're going to be doing a lesson on the CH digraph, for example, I would give my client all words within the phonological awareness, like I spy task or whatever activity that are focusing on that CH sound. Love that. And I'm thinking right away, oh, so easy to do on Zoom and in, and in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So then another one for phonological awareness, oral blending and segmenting skills are the most directly applicable to reading and spelling. So those are really important to work on. It's also beneficial to tie phonological awareness to phonics by incorporating letters into tasks. So one activity I like is called say it, move it, spell it. So you have a piece of paper, there's a circle, and then there's two lines underneath the circle. So you would say a word like chop, and the client repeats the word chop. That's the say it component. And then they move a counter into the circle for each sound in the word. So they would go ch, ah, uh, moving one counter in as they say the sound. That's the move it component. Next, they move the counters onto the line, the top line underneath the circle. And they would say the sound as they move the counter. So ch, ah, uh, moving the counters from the circle to that top line. And then they map each sound to the spelling by writing the letters underneath the counter on that bottom line. So how do we spell ch, ch, how do we spell a, o, how do we spell p? Of course, you might not need all that full instruction depending on their ability, but I just wanted to explain the full thing out loud. I love that idea. Did you like kind of come up with that on your own? <laughs> No, it's something that I learned from one of the courses I took. Oh, I love that. That's really, I feel like that's going to stick with me. And these are things also I feel like parents could do at home as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. So next up is phonics. Phonics is the relationship between the sounds of spoken language and the letters in written language. For example, the letter N represents the sound N and is the first letter in the word net. Phonics instruction also includes learning about morphology, the structure and form of words, phonetically irregular words, multisyllabic words, and the six syllable types in English, which are closed, open, silent E, R-controlled, vowel team, and stable final syllables. 
Okay. I <laughs> I could never have memorized that. Okay. I go over them a lot with my clients. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I bet. So let's jump into some activity ideas. I read A Fresh Look at Phonics by Wiley Blevins earlier this year. And two activities he outlined were word building and word sorting. In word building, students are given a set of letters and are asked to create words. For example, they're given a set of maybe five to 10 letter tiles, depending on their skill level. And they're asked to find the letters to spell a word. They're working on short A, it might be the word cat. They would have to find the letters C-A-T to build the word cat. Then they're told to change the letter C to B and read the new word. So they would swap out the C for the letter B and they would read bat. For a greater challenge, students are told to make a word like cat and then change it to bat. So this is harder because they have to determine which letter to remove which letter to add and in which position. You're not telling them what letter to swap out, you're just telling them what word to build next. Very interesting. Um, what book was that? So I can link it in the show notes. A Fresh Look at Phonics by Wiley Blevins. Okay. So the second word awareness activity, he calls them, is word sorts. So students are given a set of words that have something in common and are asked to sort the words by their common feature. So you might have a closed sort where you tell them how to sort the words. So maybe you're working on long O sound and you're sorting words into two groups, OA versus OW. You could also do an open sort where the student has to figure out how to sort the words you give them into different groups. So maybe you give them eight words and they have to sort them into the groups based on the common feature in this example, OA versus OW. Now, after you do a sort, you wanna talk about what they notice about the spelling rule. So you wanna verbalize what's going on. In this example, they would hopefully notice, you could help them notice that that OA spelling is only in the middle of words like boat and goal. OW can be in the middle or at the end of words. So we could have it in snow at the end, but we won't see the OA words have OA at the end. It's a lot for kids to learn, man. Oh my goodness. It's, it really is. There really is. Honestly, when we break it all down, it's like, it's amazing. These little kids are working through this. Wow. Okay. Okay. You ready to move on to reading fluency? I'm ready. So reading fluency refers to the ability to read accurately at an appropriate rate and with proper expression. Accurate reading requires that the individual words are read correctly. This is obviously a priority when we're reading. We want to read the words exactly as they appear. Rate or automaticity refers to the speed with which we read the text, um, which should be conversational speed. Faster is not better. We need to be pausing appropriately at punctuation. We need to be reading at a good conversational speed. And then expression or prosody includes the pitch, tone, volume, emphasis, rhythm in speech while we're reading. And it also includes our ability to chunk words into meaningful phrases and that pausing appropriately as well. So not the same fluency that 
we kind of think about as SLPs when we think about fluency as uh, stuttering. Yes. Yeah. So some activity ideas. One activity I like doing, I call reading with feeling. So when we're doing sentence level reading practice, I have a wheel of feelings. I just make it on, I think it's like wheelofnames.com. And I'll put in different feelings like happy, sad, angry, bored, and so on. My client will spin the wheel and then read the sentence in that feeling. And then we talk about whether or not that feeling makes sense for that sentence, what feeling would fit better and why. And we have a discussion about matching expression to the sentence. And we'll do this for our entire page of sentences. It also just kind of steps up that sentence level reading practice and makes it more fun. But you're also working on a really important piece of reading fluency, which is expression. Um, sometimes I also give them that list and they have to pick a feeling and read it in that sentence, but they don't tell me what feeling they're picking and I have to guess what feeling they're reading it in. They think it's this really fun game and my kids try to trick me, but really I'm seeing if they can portray that feeling accurately enough for me to guess correctly what feeling they're reading with. I love that idea. That's such a good idea for so many different goals as well. Like that's a really fun one. Yeah. So that loops back well with incorporating literacy into other goals that we're working on. Yeah, it does. I like that. So second activity idea for reading fluency comes from another book that I read this year, The Fluent Reader by Timothy Rosinski, I believe. Um, I got a lot of reading fluency ideas from that book. But one thing that I do now is incorporate poetry reading into lessons. So the book outlines a routine for classroom settings, but I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, so I've adapted it. I give the client a lesson on using poetry to develop our reading fluency, accuracy, rate, and expression. I select a poem, usually from poetryforkids.com or poetryfoundation.org. And I try to pick one that I think my client will enjoy and also one that has our current phonics focus. So if we're working on silent E, I scan the poem and make sure there's a few words that have silent E. I read it aloud to them in session, modeling that fluent rhythmic poetry reading, and they follow along. Then we talk about what the poem means, we find rhyming words, and our target phonics words. Then they read the poem to me and I provide feedback based on that reading fluency. So we reflect on accuracy, rate, and expression. Then I ask them to read it at home to at least three different people. In the next session, we discuss how the poetry reading went at home and they read it again for me. We reflect on how their reading fluency improved compared to their initial reading. And what's really important is this repeated reading. So hopefully they've read the poem at least four times now. This repeated reading is really important for building reading fluency. And poetry reading can be a really fun and meaningful way to give them a reason to reread something. I also feel like with poems, there's always like, new meanings and new words that maybe you haven't come across so that yeah that totally makes sense yes brings up a lot of good vocabulary discussions as well yeah and then circling back to incorporating literacy activities into other speech therapy sessions 
I had started using poetry with my articulation clients who were at the sentence to conversation level. And I do this with exact same routine. I'm just purposefully selecting poems that contain multiple words with their target sound. Where are you finding all of these poems? <laughs> so poetryforkids.com okay. and poetryfoundation.org are two of my current favorites, but I'm always exploring more websites. Okay, fine. Okay, cool. We're on to vocabulary. So vocabulary, as we know, is the understanding of words and their meanings. It encompasses both receptive vocabulary, so listening and reading, and expressive vocabulary, speaking and writing. In addition to learning word meanings, literacy instruction should explicitly teach grammar and syntax rules so that readers know and understand how words are combined to form sentences. One of the many strengths that SLPs have when it comes to providing literacy instruction is our knowledge on vocabulary. We work on vocabulary development with clients of all ages. And that work is supporting our clients' literacy skills since vocabulary is so crucial and is a crucial component in literacy. So we need to be able to understand the words we're reading to understand the text or book. And we can only write words that we have in our vocabulary. So vocabulary is definitely a key component in literacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Since this is an area where SLPs are highly knowledgeable, I'll just talk about one of my favorite vocabulary and phonics activity combos, and that's word ladders. So you give the client a starting word and clues for changing it into another word by changing one sound at a time. This is another thing I'm going to try to explain out loud, even though it's a visual thing. So imagine a ladder with some rungs. Say you're working on CVC words with short A. You might give the starting clue a winged animal that is awake at night. What is it, Shannon? Owl, bat. Yeah, we're doing short A, so. Bat. <laughs> Great. So you would write bat on the bottom rung of a ladder. Now you want to change one sound in bat so that the word is something you wear on your head which is hat. Great. You got it. So hat would go on that <laughs> second rung and you would continue the activity. So you're giving them a clue that changes one sound in the word and they work their way up till they get to the top of the ladder. It's similar to that word building activity we discussed for phonics, but with an added vocabulary component of these clues. Mm -hmm. My clients love them. I make it exciting and I pose it as a challenge for them to get to the top of the ladder. And I also use word ladders with articulation clients, another activity that I'm using across my sessions. And I do this by making sure that I'm purposeful with the ladders that I'm creating. So for example, in our client, I might be giving them clues that correspond to the words red, rod, rot, rat, and so on. So exact same activity, changing one sound in the word, but they're all starting with that letter R so that we're working on the articulation goal. That's such a fun one. All right, we're on to our last component of literacy, which is comprehension. Another area that SLPs know very well. Comprehension is the understanding and interpretation of what is read. 
It's the overall goal of reading, and it's the result of the integration of all the components we've discussed so far, phonological awareness, phonics, reading fluency, and vocabulary. So it is important to distinguish between the processes and products of reading comprehension. The processes are the cognitive activities that help a reader get to the product. For example, we have to activate our background knowledge, make predictions and inferences as we read, monitor our understanding of words, and so on. There's a lot of these processes involved. The products are what the reader understands and knows after reading. So we might demonstrate our understanding through a story retell or answering reading comprehension questions. But if there's a breakdown in these areas, our retell and answering comprehension questions, we might wanna take a step back and look at some of the processes and work on those to help our development of those products, the retell and comprehension questions. Where did you learn to label it processes and products? So that's another book that I read from the Reading Comprehension Blueprint by Nancy Lewis Hennessy. Can you walk through the processes one more time for people? And then so products, being able to do a story retell, being able to answer comprehension questions, and then processes is like activating background knowledge about what you're reading about, being able to make predictions, inferences. Was there anything else? I really like how you just laid that out. You have them good there. Activating oh. background knowledge, make predictions and inferences, monitoring our understanding of words. There are other ones as well. Those are just kind of some of the main ones. Okay. Awesome. All right. I'm going to, I want to link all these books because I feel like people who are even taking the time to listen to a podcast like this, they want to learn more. So I'm excited that there's just going to be so many resources for people to be able to access after this, which is really exciting. Definitely. I'm, I'm my list of literacy books that I want to read is ever growing. So Let's just talk about one activity for reading comprehension, since this is another area I think that um, SLPs do work on often. I just want to talk about the importance of helping clients develop a story schema. So a story schema is a set of expectations about the internal structure of stories, and this makes both comprehension and recall more efficient. For example, an episodic story structure contains characters, setting, a problem, feelings, one or more attempts and consequences, and an action or resolution, and our ending feeling. So by explicitly teaching this story schema and showing clients how all episodic stories follow the sequence, we can support their understanding and retell of these stories. And when we work on retelling episodic stories, whether they're from a book, a video, or our own personal life experiences and stories that we're talking about, we want to make sure that we're using that same consistent structure. That's kind of what story grammar helps us with, or like somebody wanted, but so then, like those types of things are really Absolutely, getting at the yeah. story schema. Okay. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of Story Champs by the Language Dynamics Group. Awesome. Some more resources for everyone listening out there. Any new grads who want more, more help with this one? Okay. There's a lot more we could talk about, but I think maybe we should leave it there for our quick overview today. Yeah. I think that's perfect. That literally was so helpful. So many take-home examples that you could start using 
sessions as soon as you listen to this. And then I'm going to link your website so people can have access to more because you said you have some handouts, right? That's correct. If anybody has any more questions, they can like ask me away on Instagram. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always happy to chat about literacy. I totally nerd out about it. I love it. Well, I feel like I learned so much. I know everyone listening is going to have learned so much. This was so much new information. So nice to get some activities to try right away. So many resources. I'm so inspired now to like look it up those books because I love reading. And it, yeah, I didn't know there were literally this many books on literacy for us to read and dive into. So that's amazing. Before you go, can you tell everyone where to follow you, learn more? I'm going to link it in the show notes too, but I know people are going to be like, wait, I need more of this. Like, where did we go now? <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram at slp.literacy.corner. I have a Facebook page as well, SLP Literacy Corner, Teachers Pay Teachers Store, SLP Literacy Corner. And then I have a website as well, SLP Literacy Corner. You can put in .com or .ca. It'll lead you to the same place. Um, and you can check out more resources there. And I have an email list as well and more email subscriber freebies. So lots of resources, hopefully for everyone who's interested. Okay, amazing. I'll link that all in the show notes so you can just click. I'm going to subscribe to your email list so I can get some freebies. <laughs> um, Thanks, Shannon. <laughs> okay, well, it was so nice to have you on today. Thank you for coming on. Um, and I'll see everyone next Monday. Thanks for having me. 